Hey folks, I'm Kathy Parker with Beyond the Ball Field. This is not your typical sports show. We won't be talking X's and O's, but we will be talking about raising your family in the sports-crazed world. Let's not only survive sports, but let's learn to thrive on and off the field. So please, join us as we look at life beyond the ball field. All right, this is our fourth and final episode with Susan Hope from Utkiavik, Alaska, Barrow, Alaska. Utkiavik is their native name. It means land of the snowy owls. And it took me a long time practicing that to get it, get it right, especially the spelling of it. But Susan is a Native American. She is a Nupiat. And I'm going to tell you really quickly for some that have maybe joining us for the first time that don't know the story. But Susan's son played for the Barrow Whalers. Now, Barrow, Alaska, and I'm going to call it Barrow instead of Utkiavik, um, because most of you know it by Barrow. They just went back to their native name just a few years ago. But Susan's son played for the Barrow Whalers. She also worked for the school system. I was a football mom in Florida. My husband was coaching. My boys were all playing. I have a daughter also. She was involved in sports. We were a sports family. One day, watched ESPN outside the lines, and they had a segment on this community, Barrow, Alaska, wanting to start a football program. They've never had football there before. It was on the frozen tundra on the very north slope of Alaska, the most northern American settlement, no roads going in and out. You can imagine there were so many obstacles. But being from a sports family and knowing what it had done for my sons or my family, um, it was something that I thought, well, maybe we can help. Now, Jacksonville and Barrow are over 4,000 miles from each other. I had no idea what I was getting into. I've never been to the state of Alaska, especially to that North Slope area. I had no idea that Seattle, Washington was halfway um, from where I was living, but joined with a lot of other families at Bartram Trail High School in Jacksonville. And then the story went national of us wanting to help and and people came from all over the United States to be able to help us transport over 650,000 pounds of products that put a artificial turf field in for them to replace their gravel-covered field um, that sat there uh, close to, very close to the Arctic Ocean. And if you see photos from... Uh, aerial photos, you'll see it's very close to the water um, there in that area. So it was a miraculous story. Um, also, and this is probably even more important than more, much more important than the field. We brought the team to Jacksonville at the urging of our head coach, Daryl Sutherland. And he said, we need to teach them what it's like to be a student athlete. They can stay in our homes and go through spring practice with our team. So all that happened and it was amazing. Um, we learned so much. I've written a book called Northern Lights and there is a movie that will be 
um, right now it's in um, pre-production and hopefully I'll have some announcements soon about that. But here's the thing, and many times this happens. When you think that you're doing something for someone, and, and in my case, I was spearheading, getting all these people rallied around to give this team a, an artificial turf field. And when you think you're doing something, you're just going to really bless another community, another um, people group far, far away. It was just, you know, miraculous how God just orchestrated all of these moving parts to make this come to pass. But we ended up being the ones that were so blessed, that received so much. And I've wanted to share that with you. So that's why I've had four different episodes with Susan Hope. She was one of the moms that I first met. And we talked many, many times over the phone until getting to meet in person. So Susan talks today more about the Inupiat culture, talks about their values and um, how they view themselves. Um, what is what is valuable to them, what is not valuable to them, and how they help one another, how they love one another, and some of the things and challenges that they've been through as a community group, but they've been able to thrive. We can learn so much. I learn so much. Every time I talk to her, I learn so much more about this amazing people group. Now, if you want to get more details about this whole story and some of the things that have happened through it, you can get my book, Northern Lights. You can go to my website, kathybparker.com, and you can order my book. I'll be glad to, to send you an autographed copy. But today, enjoy with me the conversation with Susan Hope. Um, Susan, we were talking about identity, and you had made the statement that identity is something that's different for the Inupiat culture and people. And I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on that. Okay. So our our word for that we call each other is um, Inupiat. And Inuk means a person and Beak means real. So Inupiat means a real person. And so when we think about our identity, many of us see our traits to be honest, to be fair, to be just. And I think those things come into play and they actually mean something when you're um, stewarding the wildlife that's out here and like the whale and we harvest it, that we share that whale. And we also have to divvy it out. We have to, you know, make sure that people that have helped us um, receive their, their share their piece of that whale. And because we don't, we didn't have a store up here. Um, we have a few stores now, but you know, for many, many years, we didn't have stores. And so what little that we did have, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that it didn't get stolen, you right. know? And so, so there, 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 a lot of it had to do with an, in, an, an integrity of a person that, you know, when they say they were going to do something that they did it. So I think I understand a little bit now because one of the things that you had said was that in the lower 48, you know, we consider ourselves by what we do. 
like if you're a teacher or if you're a doctor, that kind of thing. But you were saying that in the Nubit culture, that it's what they're identified is more of what kind of person you are and the values you hold, not by right. what your occupation is. Is that what I hear you saying? Right. And I and I think for an example, okay, when we in our school district, when we look at what a 12th grader is going to look like when they graduate from the school system, that we actually gathered our elders together. And we talked to them about before we had teachers up here, who were the teachers, you know, and they said, well, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your great aunts, your great uncles, your, you know, your peers. And, you know, there were roles that people had to teach that to learn in order to become an adult and have the skill sets that they need to set off on their own. And what the elders came up with a list of skill sets that they wanted them to acquire. And so, and, and some of their ideology, some of their beliefs that they needed to have in order to survive and be a um, productive citizen in, in the community. And one of them was that they're just not helping themselves. They're not an island on their own, that they need to have a clear motivation to not only see themselves be successful, but those around them to give them an opportunity to be successful too, that it wasn't just enough. Like you can't fill up your freezer and have a table full of food and your next door neighbor is starving to death. That's not success. That's not what the elders wanted our children to be like. Mm-hmm. That there, and it wasn't. They also didn't want to see you give everything away. They also wanted to, you know, say that you know what you have to give them an opportunity. You have to give them an opportunity to rise up. So I think those traits that is it's to us is what we. You know, for many, many, many years, people didn't lock their doors. They don't lock their vehicles. They leave them running in the Arctic cold. You know, people had their gear in boats parked outside the beach. And no one, you know, took anything because, but over time in my generation, you know, I do see some change. And so we had to make things a little bit more formal by having things formally adopted, ideologies adopted um, by organizations because everything is now institutionalized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything has to go through an educational system. Right. Or, and, and you yeah. had told me before that all of those changes, I think you, you're, you and your culture are such an example to the rest of the United States on on how to get along and how to adapt. And you've helped me to understand that that you all especially have had to adapt very quickly in um, that Arctic region. And because you've had to rely on people coming in from other parts of the country to educate your children and those kind of things. And you've had to learn to adapt to, um, to, to get along and to uh, learn how to thrive with so many different cultures. We do. And by all means, it's not easy. Because we live in America, all men are created equal. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so 
but but what we find is is that in the in our little slice of, of the world, this Inupiaq culture, these skill sets to survive in the Arctic, um, these traits that we've had to um, thrive in a place where a tree can't even grow, you know, takes a set of values and skills that you, you it needs to be preserved or it doesn't you it doesn't work. And I think when we live in America where it's the great melting pot, we could lose that. You know, it's almost like one generation away, every generation to, to lose those values. And so and, that's that's why I when when I've gone to Barrow, I've noticed uh, that the Adupit values are listed in several places um, that you can look. Sometimes they're in the hotel, on the elevator um, doors, and above the beds in the um, in the hotel rooms, and just all around the town and in the cultural center. Um, and, and so that is to preserve that, and it's important, and what we can learn from, from yes. that. Yes, and you'll find these traits, you know, these traits are not just a barrow trait. You'll find them when you go to, to Canada, um, you'll find those traits there. If you go to Greenland, you'll find those traits there. It's above the Arctic Circle. Uh, that you'll find that people where they have limited resources and they have limited roads, um, limit, limited contact. So that isolation and um, the lack of resources has, has made it essential to list what are the priorities. And like you said, what is success and what is your identity? All those things are, have, have to be preserved for those people groups to continue to exist. Right. And the problem I think we've run into is that the sense of having to continue to defend that, you know, and I don't even know if defend would be the right word other than maybe stand, that to continually stand upon that because I think what what I see in my generation is that there's that misconception that there isn't that sophistication in this culture. And there is. Mm -hmm. And to be able to um, express that, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it, it's kind of like you having to express um, your, your belief system to everybody that goes to Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and and why you do what you do, and it just seems like, and and when you get a teacher that goes into your school system, that you have to um, share with them what the 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 values of of your community, and that because our kids are still so heavily involved in the traditional lifestyle. Right. Because they're so heavily involved in whaling, because they're so heavily involved in in um, catching caribou instead of eating beef, because they're so um, heavily involved in setting their fish nets out there and catching, you know, their hundred and 
50 white fish a day um, so that they can feed their families or catching their waterfowl, um, you know, to, to instead of having chicken. Um, because it's so subsistence-based that we have to um, constantly in service our, 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 the people around us. And it, it goes to so many of our statements. I mean, like many of the communities here, you know, they still, they don't say, oh, we're celebrating the holidays. You know what they say? We're celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that hasn't, you know, and, and, but you see what I mean by the, the bigger, big government comes in and wants to change that. And I think we see it, it becomes more, more, um, aware. Um, we are just more aware of it because it is so different than what we currently have. Exactly. Well, you have always uh, enlightened me every every time that we, we, we talk, and I love your culture. I think that there's so many things that the rest of us can learn um, from a culture that has learned to get along for so long. Thank you for letting me take time out of your day like this. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. You have a great day. All right, Susan, love you. Love you, too. All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. This has been our final episode with Susan Hope. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you want to read more about the story, um, go to my website and order my book, Northern Lights. My website, kathybparker.com. And I will be happy to sign a copy for you and get it in the mail to you. Thank you so much for joining us today.